Welcome to the Potter's House North podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by today's message. But I think what we'll call it today is surviving the shortages of life. Surviving the shortages of life. And we're going to take that out of 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, those of you that have been around me for any length of time, you've probably heard me say, uh, the statement I'm getting ready to make because I have used it a lot in my life. And I, uh, the, the statement is you don't realize how much uh, Jesus means to you until he's all you've got. And when he is all you've got, he can then become everything that you need him to be. We don't realize how much Jesus means to us or how much we need him until he's all we've got. And then we begin to realize that he's everything that we need. That being said, uh, I often believe that God allows, now you have to hear me out on this, I often believe that God allows us uh, from time to time to experience uh, shortages in our life or find ourselves maybe in a deficient moment or find uh, ourselves dealing and struggling with a little bit of lack in our life. Uh, and, and I really believe it is because that there are just seasons that God wants to remind us that I am the real source that is in your life. And uh, if, if, if I were to evaluate you today or if I was to ask you to take an evaluation of your life and tell me where are you lacking in your life today, somebody would say I'm lacking strength. Somebody else would say, I'm, I'm lacking joy. Somebody else might say, I'm lacking peace. Or uh, somebody else might say, I am lacking emotional support. I, I feel empty. Somebody else might say, I'm lacking a job. I'm lacking an opportunity. And somebody else might say, Pastor, I'm all of that. I'm, I'm lacking all of those things. I'm actually running out of everything in my life. I wasn't prepared for 2020 to zap me like it has. And uh, as a result from all of it, uh, I find myself dealing with lack in my own life. Well, if that's how you feel today, then you are absolutely who I have come to talk to on this Sunday morning because I believe that the word is for you. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look into the life of a man, a prophet of God by the name of Elijah. And I trust that we uh, can pull out some lessons from his life uh, as to why there are moments that God might leave us lacking. Uh, there were three moments, there were actually three points in uh, Elijah's life, three experiences in his life uh, that, that, that I believe will help us how to handle uh, the, the feelings of frustration and hopelessness possibly that we are dealing with in our lives. But let me first give you a little bit of background out of 1 Kings. Um, there, there were three kings uh, in Israel that came at, at different times, but when they were there, they united the kingdom. They were, that was Saul, that was David, and that was David's son, whose name was Solomon. Those were the three that brought uh, unity to the kingdom. However, uh, after those three, everything fell apart. Israel was then divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel and the southern kingdom 
was Judah. And for the next 60 years in the northern kingdom, there was a string of 19 absolutely terrible leaders uh, that were in charge. They were terrible politically, they were terrible economically, and most important, they were terrible spiritually. Things began to fall apart and the government uh, actually went bankrupt and the nation found itself in a recession. The Bible tells us that the worst of the worst of these leaders was King Ahab and his wife, whose name was Jezebel. You probably heard her name a little more than you have his, uh, but Ahab and Jezebel, they were the worst of the worst. And one of the reasons that they were the worst of the worst is because uh, they got rid of the worship of God. They got rid of the worship of Jehovah and they brought in a false God and they brought in a false worship and they created an idol that was called Baal. And they set Baal up as the official uh, religion of Israel. So uh, God wasn't happy with that. And so God sent Elijah as a spokesperson, as a prophet, to confront the king of Ahab. And he confronts him by saying to him, because of your wickedness and because you have led this nation to worship a false God, because God doesn't mess around when it comes to worship. He will strike you down in a moment when it comes to his worship. He said, he used Elijah to say to him, because you have led this nation into the worship of a false God by the name of Baal, I will dry up the rain and it will not rain another day until I, the prophet of God, says that it will rain. So we find out later that uh, it ends up being like three and a half years plunging the nation of Israel into a terrible drought and into a terrible famine. And Elijah said, to him, because of your sin, he said this to the person that was leading the nation, because of your sin, this nation is going to suffer for three and a half years. Now, this made Ahab and his wife Jezebel so angry that they authorized assassins to find Elijah, to track him down, to hunt him down, to chase him down, and they uh, authorized them to kill him. And the Bible says in 17 and verse 1 of 1 Kings, and I'm reading to you today from the Living Bible, now Elijah confronted King Ahab and he says to him, as surely as God lives, the God of Israel, whom I worship and serve, there will be no dew, or I mean, not even dew, okay? He said, not only is there not going to be any rain, but uh, there will not be any dew unless I give the word of the Lord. Now, as I began to read that, I thought, well, you know, today there might be a whole lot of people that could be watching me that might feel like they are in that same kind of thing in their life. They feel like they are in a very dry season in their life. You might feel like your joy has dried, uh, has dried up or 
that maybe your peace has dried up or your relationships or, or your savings account has dried up or even your faith might be on the verge of feeling as if it's drying up. But you need to know today, that's why I'm bringing you the story from the life of Elijah because you need to know that Elijah knows just exactly what you're feeling. And because of that, I believe that there's some things that we're going to learn from his life that will give us the ability to face what we are facing today. So make sure that you stay locked in with me because this word is for you. And so during this time uh, of, of a spiritual and emotional and an, ec an economic dryness, God, in spite of all of that, he did miraculous things in the life of Elijah that can teach you and me today that he is still able, he's still on his throne, and he can still do those things in our life when we ourselves find ourselves walking through a season of dryness. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I hope that you have faith out there, and I hope that you've not allowed 2020 to cancel out your belief that your God is alive and he's well, and he can still do miracles in our lives. During this season um, that Elijah was in, God took him to three different places. And, and those three different places represented three different phases that, that we will all go through at one time or another. And not just one time or another, but we will all go through them time and time again in our lives. Uh, for the first year of the three and a half years, God took him to a place that is called Cherith. Cherith represents a place uh, or a, a time of obscurity. So God took him. He is actually running for his life because he had given the word to Ahab and to Jezebel. They sent out assassins to find him and to kill him. So he's on the run for his life. And God sends him to a place called Cherith. And it is actually he's sending him to a phase or a season in his life. Of obscurity. So the Bible says in verse two, uh, then the Lord said to Elijah, he said, you, you, he said, I want you to go east and I want you to hide in Cherith, uh, in, in, in the, in Cherith that he said, I've got a, a, a ravine that is east of the Jordan. The Cherith brook will give you fresh water to drink. And I have already commanded the ravens to bring you food every day. So Elijah obeyed God. He obeyed what the Lord said to do. And he moved to Cherith, to the, to the ravine in Cherith, and he lived there. And the birds brought him food each morning and each evening, and he drank from the brook that was there. But after a while, the Bible says that the brook dried up because there was no more rain. So the first stop in Elijah's journey of faith is the Cherif Ravine, the Cherif Ravine. Now, you might be saying, well, what is, what is a ravine? Well, a ravine is, it's, it's a natural rut. That's, that's probably the best way to put it. 
It's a natural rut. It's, it's kind of like you might, the Grand Canyon started out as a ravine, but then it got wider and wider and bigger and bigger. So uh, a ravine is, it's just a natural, it's a, it's a narrow, long gauge, uh, I, I mean gorge, and, and it is cold in there, it is dark in there, and it is lonely in there. Somebody said, that's where I'm living. I am living at that ravine right now pastor Brady I'm going through a season where it is dark I'm going through a season where it is cold I'm going through a season where I feel like I'm so deep into this thing I feel lonely it feels uncomfortable in the season that I am in some of you are in an emotional ravine right now you're you're in you're in in the battle and you feel like you're fighting for your life and you know you can be fighting for your life and people all around you not even know that you're in a fight. I said, you can be fighting for your life and people around you not even know you are in a fight. But you, who I, you are who I'm talking to today. I came to preach to you and I believe that God's word is coming to you right where you are in your ravine, in your dark place, in your cold place, in that place where you feel like you are all alone. That is where Elijah was and here's the problem with Elijah being in that place is that Elijah was an extrovert, okay? So he was not used to being alone and, and yet God put him in that ravine type of place for a year and here's why God did it. He put him there for a year to hide him. He put him there to protect him. In Hebrews, the word uh, cherith, it means cut off. And, and, and so now Elijah, who is an extrovert, who loves being around people, he is in a place where he feels cut off from everything and everybody. He's cut off from his friends. He's cut off from his routine. He's cut off from his family. He's cut off from social interaction. He's come, cut off from what's happening outside in the world. He's cut off from the limelight. He's cut off from the attention. And he is, has literally been left alone. Why is God taking an extrovert like Elijah and making him and turning in him into a hermit for a solid year. What is happening here? Why would God do that? I'll tell you why he would do that. Because God had plans for Elijah's life. I said God had plans for Elijah's life. He is actually at the beginning of his real ministry. And God is preparing to use him. See, God knows far down the road, much further than you can see and much further than I can see. And so he, God knows because of how he's going to use him. He knows what he's got to take him through so that he will be prepared. He knows that he's going to use him in a miraculous way. And so he, he takes him into that place and he says, I'm going to use you. But before I use you, you need some alone time with me. 
I want to call you uh, to me. I want to put you in a place where I can narrow your focus because you're everywhere. Your mind is everywhere. You're scattered. And because of what I want to do in your life, I've got to narrow your focus. Let me tell you something. God has taken 2020 and he has used it to cause some of us to narrow our focus. He has called us into a long time with him. Why? Because he wants us to develop our inner life. He wants our undivided attention. And he's called us into that place because of what he's preparing to do with us. So God places Elijah in a deep, dark, cold, narrow rut for the purpose of having some one-on-one -on -one time and also for the purpose of him being able to do some self-reflection in his life. If you have not done any self-reflection in 2020, I think I'm scared of you because there is something about this year that should make a man examine himself. And that is what God was using this season in Elijah's life for. And he was saying, I want you to look at yourself, Elijah. This is a pattern that God would often use when he has marked you and he has chosen you for his glory. He will let you, he, he, will, he, will, he will use the private darkness of your life to prepare you for the public bright, uh, 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 the, the bright light of day ministry that he has planned for you. And Anyone who attempts to step into the public ministry without ever going through the dark place will never have a ministry that has longevity because you have to go through those seasons because what you're learning in those seasons is what you're going to be able to give to other people. Now, during this time that God uh, had called him to that place, uh, to that ravine, to that canyon, to that dark place, what I love about God is he doesn't call you into that place and not provide for you. God provided in a supernatural way by using the ravens to bring food to Elijah. Now granted, it wasn't gourmet food, okay? Because usually birds get their food by picking it off of somebody else's plate or picking it off of the up off the road or they find a little crumb here they find a little crumb over there and such as it was that when they would come to drop the food off into the ravine uh that is when uh, th that is what they gave to Elijah so it, it wasn't it wasn't the best food but uh, actually God had him living off a of leftover for a year, but at least it sustained him. It wasn't room service, but it was ravine service. And sometimes the only thing on the menu is whatever God gives the bird to drop into your life. He was not in a vacation resort. He was in a pit. And let me say this today, that often the deeper the purpose of your life, the deeper the pit of your life. Let me say it again. The deeper the purpose that God has planned for you, the deeper the pit that he also has planned for you. Elijah 
is in a pit and his only support is coming from God. And we have to remember that, that, that uh, what I said earlier, that you don't know how much you need Jesus until he's all you got. And so God has supernaturally provided uh, for him. He also allowed a brook to come in his, to flow, a brook of water to flow in his direction uh, daily. The Bible said in 1 Kings 17 uh, verse 7 that he allowed it to flow and then one day the brook dried up. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are saying, Pastor Brady, my brook has completely dried up. But let me tell you something. Uh, this is something that happens in our life periodically. It's not like, oh, the brook is dried up, and if I can get through this, I'll never have to experience that again. That is a false uh, that is a false hope. Periodically, if you're going to keep moving in God, He will dry up the brook in your life and he does it over and he does it over and over again. Some of you right now are saying, Pastor, nothing is flowing in my direction. That money is not flowing. Friends are not flowing. Uh, opportunities are not flowing. Uh, uh, support is not flowing. I don't even have creativity or passion or strength that is flowing in the direction of my life. Everything is dry up. So what does that mean? What does it mean when something good all of a sudden dries up and it's gone? What does it mean when, when something that was always there to keep you filled up is now empty itself? What does it mean when, you, when the thing that used to refresh you no longer has the ability to refresh you? Well, I'm gonna tell you what it means. It means just what I read to you in 1 Kings 17 and 7. It means the brook has dried up. And the reason that the book, brook dries up and there is always a reason that God will dry up the brook. Uh, so, so somebody says, well, then what do I do? What do I do when everything runs out? What do I do when everything runs dry in my life? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a pen and paper out because you need to hear what I'm saying to you. There are three things that you must do when the brook of your life dries up. And we got to get this. And this is why I'm telling you to write it. Because we got to get it because this will happen periodically in our life. And there is no reason for us to continue being set back and set back and set back further and further and further. Every time that God sends us, allows the brook that is around our life to dry up. We need to learn the lesson so that when we have to face it again, we understand I'm not going backwards. I'm going to square my shoulders. I'm going to wipe the tears off of my face and I'm okay. Keep moving forward because I can recognize God when I see him. So the first thing that we have to do in our lives when the brook dries up is we have, we have to, when the brook dries up, we have to recognize that God is trying to keep us. Here's your point. He's trying to keep us from depending totally on those Things, okay, when those things dry up, God is trying, the, the reason they dried up is because God has said, 
I don't want you totally dependent on the things. Or can I, can I even take it a little bit further? I'll let friendships dry up because I don't want you totally dependent upon your friendships. Elijah was in a ravine and every day the birds and the brooks sustained him. The birds and the brooks sustained him. Every day the birds and the brook were what was keeping him alive. And as with anything in life that comes consistently and and, and pretty much easily and it meets our felt needs, then it's easy for us to become dependent on the help that we get and forget about the source from which that help is flowing. Now, if, if you if you just get to where you depend on the help and you're not paying no attention to the source, now you're complaining like, where, where is that bird with my lunch? Why are they, they get later and later every day. My bills are piling up. My water is cut off. What's going on? See, periodically, God will allow whatever we are trusting in to dry up because at the end of the day, he don't want us trusting in horses and he don't want us trusting in chariots. He wants us to trust in him. And when we begin to take things for granted and we, be, we begin to trust in ourselves or in our friends or in our gifts, or in our businesses, or when we begin to trust in job security, God says, okay, so that's how you're going to be? I'm cutting your water off. And no longer does the brook flow like it did before, because anything that we place over our trust in God becomes a false God, or it becomes what the Bible calls an idol and I understand that it's easy to get there uh, because uh, 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 we, we just get to where we kind of take things for granted but God said you might get there but I ain't gonna let you stay there because I want you to always be aware that every gift that comes into your life is a gift that comes from me. It's human nature for us to trust the brook. It's human nature for us to trust that the birds are going to bring us the food that we feel like we need. But God does not want us to, to confuse the supply with the source. I'm going to say that again. He does not want us to confuse the supply with the source. And when he thinks that we might be confusing the supply and the source, he'll turn around and he'll dry up the supply so that you will look to the source and say, God, it was you that was always there in my life. You brought me through. You brought me through the storm. You brought me through the rain. It was you that was food on my table. You brought me through school when I didn't think I was going to make it. You are the God that brought me through it and I turn my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. I'm telling you, when we depend on the brook and the bird, that's when God says enough is enough. I want to ask you today, what is your brook and what is your bird? What are you looking to to meet the needs in your life other than God? Who are you looking to to bring happiness into your life? 
Is it a spouse? Is it, is, is it a man? Is it a, is it a woman? Are, are, are you sitting at home saying, I just can't be happy until I find a husband? Really? That's how you feel? God will say, you know what God says? I'll keep you husbandless because what I want you to understand is that your real happiness and your real joy will never come from a person. Y'all have even said it. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. And so God just wants us to realize that the joy that you have and the joy that you need comes from God. It doesn't come from a man. It doesn't come from a woman. It doesn't come from a child. It doesn't come from a position. It does not come from another human being. So God is saying, I am the one that can give you all of that, but you got to never ever forget that I'm the one that gave it to you. Somebody ought to praise him right now for what he has already given you in your life. I dare you to thank him for being your friend, for being your husband, for being your heart's desire. Come on, right now, just put a praise in this moment, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your car, wherever you are, just pause and let every atmosphere know, I know who my source is, and I am grateful to the source that is in my life. Whew. I felt that right there, y'all. He doesn't want us to forget that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Now, we have this crazy way of thinking. And we think that if God ever gives us a gift, and by the way, everything that God gives us is, is a gift from God. Your brain is a gift from God. Your vision is a gift from God. Your hearing is a gift from God. Your freedom is a gift from God. Your heart is a gift from God. Your heartbeat is a gift from God. But we have this crazy way of thinking that if God gives us something, that he has no right to take it back. Now, come on, y'all. We have this way of thinking that if God gave it to me, he cannot take it back. But I'm going to tell you something. That is not true. The Lord giveth and the Lord, what? Taketh away. Because God is a sovereign God. And we must not get confused that every, we, we, we must not get so confused that whenever we go through a loss, that we now want to blame God for that. We, will, we all go through losses, and it is not always God's fault, okay? Some things, they just vanish. Some things, it's our poor decisions that result in moving them out of our life. A, a, a job, it's vanished. A friend has vanished. A business deal has vanished. And now we're all mad and we're all like, well, I, I'm just going, I don't understand why God would do that to me. God, you know I needed that job. And why would you take that job away from me? What's wrong with you, God? You know I was dependent upon that contract coming through. I was counting on that right there. I was counting on that man. I was counting on that woman. I was counting on that contract. I was counting on that brook. I I was counting on that bird. I was counting on my health. Well, maybe you should have got up and jumped on the treadmill a few days. Well, I was counting on that. See, you can't, we can. I'm not going to just say you, I'm going to say we. We cannot blame God for everything. You can't, you can't 
say to him, God, you took that person out of my life. Maybe he did. And maybe you ran them out. But either way, he's sovereign. And you have to trust him. The truth is, he's God. And what he, whenever he gives you a gift, the, there, there is no gift on the earth that is eternal. But the gift of eternal life, that's the only thing that we can actually count on. So just enjoying the gifts that he gives us, we can never stop and say, Lord, I just want to thank you that every good and perfect gift in my life comes from the Father above. Uh, I, I, I give you the glory for that. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing that, that God, the second thing we should do when God allows the brook to dry up what, what's the reason in that, Pastor Brady? Because he wants to move us to a better place. Quit sitting there crying about the brook. Quit sitting there crying and complaining because the bird is not dropping anything in your mouth or in your little ravine right now. If God allowed all of it to dry up, we have to understand that the reason he let it dry up because he is a good, good father. If he let it dry up, it is because he's taking us to a better place. He's got something better that's in store for us. God had no intention of leaving Elijah in that rut for the rest of his life. It was simply a place where he could do a little self-reflection in his life. He was actually, if the truth be told, he was protecting Elijah because remember, they were out to kill him. They were out to find him and to kill him, but God protected him. He could have been down there grumbling and God the whole time is saying boy listen to me if I wouldn't have put you there they'd have found you and killed you but because I put something in you before the foundation of the world I am going to watch over my interest I've got an interest in you son and I'm going to protect you from every enemy that tries to come after you no weapon formed against you shall prosper I don't know why you're complaining but God said shut up complaining and just start praising and say, Lord, I thank you. I might be in a rut. It might be dark. It might be cold and I might be alone, but you might just be protecting me from dangers that are not only seen, but from dangers that are unseen. God had no interest of leaving him in that rut and he has no interest in leaving you where you are, but he does have an interest in us and in order for it to come out God says I'm not just I'm please no I'm not trying to kill you in 2020 I'm trying to protect you so I'm driving you back into that place or I'm holding you back into that place he's not trying to hurt you he's trying to hide us because of what he's got prepared for us I dare somebody to just believe today that God has something that is prepared for you in the days ahead oh. Elijah however had gotten comfortable and complacent in his ravine and he knew it 
You know, you know. You know when you find yourself in a comfortable place. Well, this ain't the best, but it's okay. At least it's comfortable. As long as the brook was bubbling and as long as the birds were bringing him food, he was not about to move. He wasn't about to get out of there. Because see, here, here the truth is, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. I said we change when we feel the heat. We change when God begins to dry up things. We change, really, we change when we are forced to change. And God knows what it takes to move you, to move Elijah, to move me out of this place. See, God knows he's got, he's got the combination to the lock that you want to put on your life. And he knows how to get your attention. He knows how to get my attention. So periodically, he he will dry things up, but he dries them up because he wants to move us into a better place. So when, when we feel like that, the, that everything has dried up, that we, we, we find our first inclination is, oh my God, how awful, I just lost my job. But listen, would you dare believe that God is your God and he's sovereign and he's your father and would you dare believe that that might not be the worst thing that's happened to you, but it could ultimately become the best thing that happened to you. The things that I often thought were going to destroy me actually have ended up developing me. So what I am saying is that oftentimes God will turn your water off over here so that he can get you to move over there and nothing gets you moving over there then finally realizing hey this is dried up over here nothing will get you moving physically or will get you uh, on, on a good healthy diet uh, like realizing my health is at stake so if God is drying up the brook and I don't know what it is in your life your brook is not my brook my brook is not your brook but you know what your brook is so if God has dried up your brook this is not the time to panic this is the time to know it is because he's taking you to a better place if you were in church I'd tell you high five three people and tell them I'm headed to a better place the third reason that God will allow the brook to dry up is to prove to you that he has not forgotten you. Do you all hear that? He does it for us to understand that he has not forgotten us. God could have left Elijah in the rut. He could have left him in the ravine the rest of his life, for the balance of his days, he could have left him there. But God cared so much about him, hear me today, that he dried up the brook so that he could have something better. Do y'all hear that? God dried up the brook so that Elijah could have something better. And when things go wrong in our life, we often think, well, God has failed us or 
or God, he's forgotten about us. But the reality is, he ain't forgot about us. He's paying close attention to us because he loves us and he knows our potential and he knows what we need in order to become what he has called us to become. He knows how to bring the best out of Cheryl Brady. He knows how to bring change out of my life. He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows what you can take. He knows when you absolutely can't take it another moment. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you're strong. He knows where, where when your countenance has fallen. And he knows how to raise it back up again. He knows when your expectations are at an all-time low and he knows how to take your expectations and raise them back up again he has not forgotten you he is actually paying close attention to you and he wants to move you and so he let that dry up so that he could actually pick you up and take you to a better place that's the kind of good good father you have because you and I might get content and complete Complacent in our comfort zone, but God said, "I ain't let you. St I ain't gonna let you stay there, cause I know what's ahead for you, and I know that you will be much happier with what's ahead than you are with what is behind." So, that's that's all the first place that God took Elijah to. The second place, and I only got three, so be glad. The second place that we see Elijah move to is the road. So he was in the ravine or the rut. God takes him and moves him and puts him on, on the road. First Kings 17, eight and nine says, so then the Lord said to Elijah, now get up and go. Now get up and go. Get up and go. I mean, I mean I'm cold, I got it going on here. I got water, I got birds bringing me food. God said, no, I'm shutting all that down. And I'm shutting it down because I want you to get up and go to another place. He said, get up and go to Zarephath. And he said, I want you to live there. I've prepared a widow to take care of you. So Elijah obeys God. However, it wasn't easy because getting from where he was at Sherith to Zarephath, he would have to go through very dangerous and treacherous territory. Whew. There's always some kind of trouble that can jump up in between where you are and where you want to be. There are several reasons that this journey became complicated right here. Number one, he's a marked man because you remember Ahab and Jezebel were after his life. Number two, He's on foot. He's walking this journey. Number three, it's a hundred plus mile walk. Not to mention, he's a wanted man. And he has to walk straight through the heartland of Baal worshipers where everybody there wants to kill him. And if that is not enough, he is also having to make this walk in the middle of a drought. So he has no water. 
to walk this hundred mile journey. So stress has got to be moving in on him. He will have to walk for days without water to get to Zarephath, which by the way is a pagan town that worships false gods, that worships idols. Oh, and I don't think I told you this, but by the way, Zarephath was the hometown of Jezebel. I bet he said, come on, God, are you kidding me? That is where you want me to go? And God said, yeah, and when you get there, I'll have the most unlikely person in the town prepared to give you a refuge and to take care of you. So it looks like he is going from bad to worse. Does anybody know what it feels like? Maybe you're there right now. I'm going from bad to worse, Pastor Brady. I know what that feels like. I, I, I got bills that, that might be piling up and I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know how to put food on my table. I feel like my life is going backwards. I came into 2020 shouting and excited and now that I'm here, I don't even know what has happened. I feel like my life has been backwards. Let me tell you what's happening. You are in a fight when your faith is on a journey or your faith is on a test. There will always be things that get between you and the place that you are aiming to go. And when it happens, you're right. It leaves us shook. It leaves us scared sometimes. Somebody today that's listening to me says, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where to put my foot next. I don't know how long it's going to take me there. And I don't know when it's going to happen. Listen, you have got, there, there are some things that you got to remember when you are on the road. And here they are. Number one, this is what you got to remember when God takes you out of the rut and he puts you onto the road. You have to remember that the path to your provision is always through uncomfortable territory. I'll say it again. The path between you and the promise or you and, and, and the, the, the provision that God has made for you is always going to be uh, taking you through uncomfortable territory. And you have to walk off. Okay, let me say it like this. David, before you can bring down Goliath, you got to walk onto the battlefield. It's not like he's walking onto the battlefield knowing he's conquered him. No, he had to walk onto the battlefield by faith. Moses, you got to go through the Red Sea before you can come up out of Egypt. Sometimes in order to win the victory, Jehoshaphat, you have got to put the choir up in front of the army. It makes absolutely no sense but sometimes God will do that maybe you right now are at a place in your life that that you feel uncomfortable you're financially uncomfortable you're emotionally uncomfortable you're relationally uncomfortable you are physically uncomfortable in your life as a matter of fact I'm a little nervous I, I'm a little on edge I'm a little insecure I'm actually a little fearful when 
well, congratulations, because all that means is that you are on the path to a miracle. I don't know who that's for today, but you are on a path. If you are dealing with all of that stuff, you are on the path to a miracle because miracles happen in uncomfortable places. I said miracles happen in uncomfortable places. Elijah could have said, if you think it through, Elijah could have said, everything about this is wrong. Everything about this is wrong. God, you're sending me in the wrong direction because I got enemies that are, that are waiting on me. Lord, the, the town is wrong, okay? The direction is wrong. The town is wrong because this is Jezebel's hometown. Everybody in the town knows Jezebel. Not only is, is, is this the wrong direction or not only is this the wrong town, but really, God, this is the wrong provision. You're sending me to a widow's house. He could have said all of those things, but he didn't. He just decided to obey God. So you, you have to remember, first of all, this is what you have to remember, that the path to your provision is always going to take you through uncomfortable territory. The second thing that you got to remember is that the source of your miracle is going to always be unexpected. I said it's going to always be unexpected. Why does God do that? Well, he does that so that you don't think you have the ability to just put it all together and work it out and make it just fine. And then, because if you do that in your strength, then you will never give him the glory that is due his name. So just when you think your miracle's gonna come from that, it'll turn around and come from this. He'll fix a situation that you yourself cannot figure out. He'll put you in a situation that, well, I tried this God and I tried that and that worked the last time. I don't know why it's not working this time. And just when you think he's going to do it that way, he'll do it another way. He'll turn around and do it in a way that you had no idea that it was coming from. Why? So that you will have to stand there and say, God, I didn't even see that coming. Lord, I thank you that you did that in my life. You stand there and you marvel at the goodness of God. God will always, please remember this, God will always bring miracles in Ill Ill illogical ways. It makes absolutely no sense. How do you know that? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts and my, my ways are not your ways. My my ways are past finding out. Listen, whenever you feel like everything is coming against you and it's stressing you out, this is what you got to remind yourself. God is God and I am not. Say that with me. God is God and I am not. Say it again. God is God and I am not. Put it in the comments. God is God and I am not. One more time. God is God. God, and I am not. And whenever things begin to feel like they are overwhelming to you, tell yourself, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to forget. I'm not 
not at all going to try to work it out in my own mind. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm not going to try to format it in the way that I think it should be. All I'm going to do is stand here and have faith and remind myself that God is God and I am not. You want to relieve stress in your life? Walk around and say that 20 times. God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. And when that person comes to you trying to make you fix their life, you have the liberty to look at them and say, God is God and I am not. And if he's been my God, he will be your God too. So you gotta trust him and you got to obey him even when it seems illogical to obey him. The third, third thing that you got to remember is that God always uses a pattern when he's bringing you a miracle. So the, the, the third thing I want you to write down is I got to remember CPR. CPR. I got to remember this. When I'm in a tight place, God gives me CPR. He gives me command. He gives me promise. And then there's the risk. Command, C. Promise, P. R, risk. So every time that God does a miracle anywhere, he always does it in this format. He gives a command. He attaches a promise to the command and then he requires you and I to take a risk. He requires you and I to take a risk and step out by faith, okay? So God gives a command. He gives a promise attached to that command. He requires us to take a risk and then he provides the miracle. Why? Because everything has come into alignment and when the miracle does come and when the answer comes and when, the, uh, when all of that happens, fulfillment comes and that at that moment is where God restarts your heart and causes your broken heart to beat again and to live again and to hope again. Why? Because of CPR. So the first place that God had Elijah was in a rut. The second place he had him was on the road. The third place he took him to was Zarephath. He made the journey. When he gets to Zarephath, he gets there and he realizes this city has been struck by famine. Scarcity is everywhere. Scripture says that when he reached the town gate, Elijah saw a widow. Oh, good Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He gets to the city. When he gets to the city, he sees a widow gathering sticks. I should have had some sticks here today. He is just getting to the city. <laughs> Woo. He is on the road, pressing his way, trying to get to that place. 
But while he's on his way, he's already got somebody over here gathering sticks. Do y'all hear me today? I think God's already got somebody somewhere gathering the sticks of your miracle together. She was gathering the sticks. He saw her. He saw her. He, he reached the town gate and Elijah saw. He saw a widow gathering firewood. And so he asked her, would you please bring me a drink of water? I don't know where he thought she was going to get that from. But he said, will you please bring me a drink of water? And so as she goes into the house to try to get him a drink of water, Elijah says, ah, and while you're, while you're there, could, could you bring me back? Could you bring some bread, please? I mean, the audacity of this man. He, he knows they're in a drought. He knows they're in a famine. Uh, yes, could you bring me some, some bread and some, uh, bring me some dipping sauce with that too, will you? Bread, yeah, I like to dip my bread in the sauce and put a little Parmesan cheese on that. Bring, just bring me all of that. I mean, he is just working it. Why wouldn't, why would he do that? Why would he find a widow? He already knows she's a widow. Why would he find a widow and do that? Because he understands CPR. God had given him a command. He attached a promise to it. So Elijah took the risk. And when he asked her, the woman said to him, as surely as your God lives, because she, she wasn't a Jew. She was an idol worshiper. So it wasn't her God, but she said, as surely as your God lives, I swear, I have no bread. I only have a handful of flour left in a small jar and a little olive oil that is left in my jug. And I came here just to gather up these sticks so that I could fix some pancakes for me and my son. We're going to eat them and then we are going to die of hunger. And Elijah has got to be thinking this. He's got to be thinking, and this is where you sent me, God. So you send me to this kind of a place. You send me to ask a woman who is a widow that has one meal left and she has a child to feed. And you tell me to ask her to bring it to me. It's illogical. This makes absolutely no sense. But can I tell you what this is? It's a test. 2020 is illogical. But I will tell you what it also is. It's a test. And the test is, do you believe God, Elijah? Or do you believe in yourself? See, I've always preached from this text and I, 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 I always talk about the faith that was in the widow. But you know, it took some faith for Elijah to look at her and say, bring it to me. Because if he didn't eat it, they couldn't live. Are you following me today? If he didn't eat it, they couldn't live. But when she heard the word, she grabbed hold of that word. She brought him the bread. And once he did what he was supposed to do and she did what she was supposed to do, y'all, there was a miracle that was set in motion that no devil in hell 
could stop from happening in their lives. He said, you fix me something. And then when you fix me something, I want you to fix you and your son something to eat. And I promise you this, when you do, I assure you that your jar of flour and your jug of oil will never run out. She's got a command. She's got a promise attached to that commandment. And supernaturally, the rest of the days that they were without rain, God met the need in this woman's house. He's saying, if you'll use it, I'll fill it. If you'll spend it, I'll replenish it. If you'll give it, I'll give it back to you. Press down, shake it together, and running over. You will never run out because I will always make sure that you have what you need. He it stopped the famine, not in the city, but it stopped the famine that was in her house. Are y'all hearing me today? It stopped the famine. Her act of obedience stopped the famine, not in the city, but it stopped it in her house. And I'll give you the scripture and I'll close. So the widow did what Elijah told her to do and she and her son and Elijah they had enough food for every day. The jar of flour and the jug of oil never ran out. Just as God had promised. Remember this. You're going to need to remember this to get through 2020. God is all you need. Because when you got him, you got everything. Wherever he leads, he will provide. We have to trust him. We got to remember this. We have to trust him one day at a time. And we also have to know that every promise is hinged on an act of obedience. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you join us online every Sunday morning at 9 and 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. Streaming live at www.tphnd.org watch now or through our Potter's House North app.